Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Adventures in Hellworld presents Who Shot JFK? Who shot JFK? Who shot JFK? Who shot JFK? It was Lee Harvey Oswald. Hello, everybody. I am Mike Rains, a.k.a. Poker and Politics, and welcome to Episode 5 of Who Killed Kennedy? It was Lee Harvey Oswald, you fucking morons. I am joined also by your host, Haley, a.k.a. Arizona Right Watch. Hello, everybody. Y'all ready to get sheep dipped? Oh, we are getting dipped in <laughs> sheep. Oh, let me tell you, uh, I, I I called Haley the host because I love that the We Killed Ken- Who Killed Kennedy podcast opens with "I'm your host, Soledad O'Brien," and now mm-hmm. you're going to hear me for about twenty percent of the rest seconds. of this video. <laughs> literally, my only job is to throw it to Rob, or then to throw it to another expert, and then remind you who that other expert is as I throw it back to them again. Like <laughs> you're. You are host in name only, Soledad. You exist only to launder your credibility to Rob Reiner's passion project of being absolutely pilled on the Kennedy assassination and not letting it go. That's what this guy is all about. And it's just um, it's just pretty wild that uh, this is what we have uh, going on in the uh, in this series. So uh, we start episode uh, five with our new villain because the the Kennedy conspiracy cinematic universe cannot have enough names. Rob Reiner cannot throw enough names at us. It is an impossibility for this man to stop making the the story bigger and bolder and crazier than it already is. 
And um, our new enemy is uh, James Jesus Angleton, who, who I believe is mostly known to people as James Angleton. But for some reason, Rob's going to throw in that his middle name is Jesus in there. And James us- Hussein Angleton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I, I mentioned this on Twitter that uh, Meathead was trending and it was all queuing on people being mad at Rob Reiner for being mad at Trump. And it's like, I'm a flaming lib and I'm mad at Rob Reiner too. Like <laughs> we all, it's like, this would be like if me, this is like what Jim Stewart's and getting buddy, buddy with like the authority and matrix. Cause they hate Michael Flynn. It'd be like me getting buddy, buddy with QAnon because they hate Rob Reiner. I'd be like, Hey, you guys aren't so bad. You hate Rob Reiner too, but you hate Rob Reiner for a thing that you agree that you agree with him on. You, you guys all think again, he was killed in a conspiracy. So you guys probably would like him if I actually explained to you what was going on. Like, wait, no, Rob Reiner's kind of cool. He's pilled. He's pilled about Kennedy. Yeah, I occasionally do keyword searches about this podcast, and I have been seeing a few people who are clearly not liberal or leftist or anything of the sort being like, what's up with Rob in this new podcast? He's doing he's pretty he's pretty okay on the Kennedy stuff. That's interesting. I wish he would wake up on all the other stuff. Yeah. So good audience that you're attracting, Rob. Yes. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're diversifying your portfolio into Nutsville. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's lovely. Absolutely lovely. So This episode is kind of Nutsville, isn't it? It's kind of like, at this point, because at this point we've gone over that like, okay, the Kennedy photos are actually fake. The headshot photos aren't the photos that are really the headshot photos and the real headshot photos show that his head was blown out from the back. Uh, Everything that you know is a lie. And also, have you considered that everything in Oswald's life is also a lie? Right, right. I mean, like, we, we we did Oswald in Russia and for the most part, he kept that on the level and then we get here and suddenly the story gets really bizarre. And the best part about it is, is at one point he tells Soledad, but things will become clear, but before they become clear, they're going to be very confusing. It's going to get real confusing. That's how it kind of opens. (laughs) Right. You know, he opens with like, we're going to confuse you. And Rob tries to blame the confusion on his new villain, James Jesus Engleton, um, or as his bros call him, JJA. That's what I call him. It's like, so yeah. So uh, when you're hanging out at Deep State University, you, you, you use those kind of terminologies. So our, our boy, uh, JJA, is evil and bad. And, he's, and he gets like, they are obsessed with building him up. Because this is one of the big parts of like these kinds of mythoses is that you have to make people bigger and larger than life. And James Jesus Angleton can't just be James Angleton. He, and he can't just be James Jesus Angleton. He's the poet spy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he has to have a name. He has to have a title of some kind. He has translucent skin. Oh yeah. They, 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 they go into this bit where they talk about how ugly he is. And that's <laughs> really weird. It's so bizarre. That they're just like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, James Angleton is a creepy, ugly dude with practically see-through skin and bug eyes. And, and Soul Dad's like, I can confirm that. Yeah. That's literally oh, what she says. She's like, oh, he's hideous. Oh my <laughs> God. 
No wonder yeah. he was a weird spy master. This dude couldn't get laid in a whorehouse of a fistful of twenties. <laughs> oh man! I mean, just like just, this ugly creep. <laughs> I mean, like literally, this is the thing that's like so weird about this is that you have Rob Reiner, like generically famous liberal person, and Soledad O'Brien, who is investigative journalist. And they're basically doing the Alex Jones bit where he talks about how Brian Stelter looks like a pedophile. And it's just like, buddy, like you're supposed to use evidence and facts and logic here. You're not supposed to go, this guy's hideous. You would, you wouldn't let him babysit your kids. Would you? I mean, you just look at that guy and you're like, no, I don't trust him. He's bad. He's bad news. Like that shit is fucking Infowars level stuff. I mean, like, come on, let's, let's, let's have a little <laughs> more like, respect for what we're talking about than just being like, yeah, this, this, this uggo, this uggo helped kill Kennedy. I mean, it's like, wow, really? That's, that's where we're going here. We're, we're trashing this guy's looks. That's, that's the big, that's your big win. So, so it opens with that. It opens with us hearing about how James Angleton is an ugly man. And, we then get into Oswald. Oh, the, the other big thing that they love is the wilderness of mirrors. <laughs> it's the name of the episode, isn't it's it? The name of the episode, and they say it many times. If you took a drink every time they said wilderness of mirrors, you would be tanked by the end of this episode. You would be inebriated. It would not. It would not go well for you. Because um, and and, then, and the wilderness of mirrors comes from Angleton. So again, they 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 have to build this guy up as such a powerful boogeyman that he's the poet spy who lures his enemies into the wilderness of mirrors. And it's like, can't we? Do we do we need myth making? Can't can we just go with the evidence, please? Ev- evidence, por favor. I mean, I'm just begging <laughs> here. I'm just begging. No, nothing that you believe is real. He he's um. He is the master of deception and misconception and all the words that he, he create. they literally say like he created the reality. Like he, they say like he created the reality, like around us, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they basically, so the, the, the Angleton storyline is that Oswald starts a chapter for the fair play for Cuba committee in New Orleans, and that Soledad asks Rob, like she's like she says to him, Rob. So what does Oswald think is going on here? And Reiner just tells her, I don't think Oswald knows what's going on. I think Oswald is just oblivious to the fact that he is caught in this web of intrigue and espionage, and that he is just this, just naive waif just blowing in the wind just some guy handed him a piece of paper and a, and a couple hundred dollar bills and told him to start the fair play for cuba committee and he's like sounds good boss golly gee willikers <laughs> just like oswald's just this naive child everything everything since he was 17 has just been nothing but cia handlers and cia operatives and sheep dogs sheep dogging him and uh his life is a total lie is basically what they're getting at here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just, they create this narrative around Oswald that is so bizarre because the point of this episode is that Oswald's post Soviet defection life in America 
is merely to set him up as a pro-Castro, pro-Soviet communist. That is to be his persona. Thus, when he is framed for killing President Kennedy, that will be the fall guy that is uh, brought to the American public's attention. That the killer of their president was this filthy, evil communist. And I don't understand any of this because by this point, like when people dig into the history of Lee Harvey Oswald, when they talk about his life, uh, they talk about how when he was in the Marines, he was like learning Russian and he was like pro-communist and he was a weirdo for that shit. And the other Marines were like, hey, fucking commie, leave us alone with your bullshit. And he defected to the Soviet Union for crying out loud. And he comes back from the Soviet Union. Like, How much sheep dipping do you need to do to make this guy look like a communist? I mean, he he's already a communist. We didn't need the, the bonus points. Yeah, I don't get Rob's point here, especially because he's like, he's complaining simultaneously that Oswald got off too easy coming back to America. He was like, why didn't they question him? Why wasn't his wife questioned? Why was nobody ever questioned? And then it's also like he's simultaneously telling you that everything in his life is nothing but a a, a careful puppet of the, he's a careful puppet of the CIA getting just put here and there and he doesn't even realize why. And it's like, well, why are you questioning? You're telling me two narratives here. You're telling me both that like it's mysterious that he uh got in easily but also like the CIA was handling him the entire time so which is it you know right right is, is Oswald living the Truman show where every move is carefully choreographed by power shadowy powers beyond his control or was the government supposed like, or was the government just turning a blind eye to him and somehow missing this like the uh, the the, uh, the government either is negligent or omnipresent it can't be both of these things it has to be one or the other now what's really funny is they mention that um when oswald gets on the dock in in new orleans he meets or when he gets when he gets back to america hoboken uh he runs into this guy named spaz rackin and immediately reiner indicates that rackin is cia like he's just like, oh yeah, this this Spaz Rackin guy. He was part of a a group that was a front group for the CIA, and like that was what happened there. So I had to figure out this guy's name, and because uh, Spaz <laughs> isn't a very common uh, first name anymore in America, and so I looked him up, and uh, it turns out that the uh, CIA interviewed Oswald uh, before Spaz got a hold of him. And Spaz was trying to talk to him about, hey, like, what was Russia like? What, what, what was your life there? How were you doing? And then when Oswald killed the president, uh, Spaz uh, sees his photo on TV. He's like, oh, shit. He calls the FBI. And then they, uh, they, they, the FBI interviews him about it. And it's just this, like, little thing that happened to him. And then um, Mark Lane uh, the conspiracy theorist guy does a does a speech at uh, Rankin's university where he's a uh, professor at, and 
Lane says at that uh, speech that Oswald was met by the agent of the CIA, Spaz Rankin, who is now stationed in Guam. And like a lot of Rankin's students like turn and look at him and they're like, bro, what the fuck? Like, and uh, Rankin was just like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Uh, that he said that evening he called Mark Lane up and he protested. He's like, dude, I'm not in the CIA. What are you talking about? And uh, he said Lane couldn't explain where he got the allegation that I was CIA from, but now it's just part of the narrative. It's just a part of the narrative that this guy who just lived a normal life and was part of this little group that like dealt with people that were integrating back to America from immigrating overseas and then became a history professor at a college is just part of the CIA. Just literally part. Like This is part of the, JFK conspiracy universe is that everybody everywhere is CIA. You're all in the CIA. Every last one of you. You know who's actually kind of involved with the CIA? Let's do a little side bit here. Yes. Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner is part of the CIA. Yes. He's not part of the CIA, but he is on an advisory board or was to the committee to investigate Russia because I was getting a little bit sussy on Rob this episode because (sighs) Some things he says are just, they sound a little bit, he sounds like he's, he's just like, oh, that person speaks Russian. That's suspicious. (laughs) You know? Um, So uh, I I was looking a little bit into Rob and he is on the advisory board or was to the committee to investigate Russia um, with Max Boot, uh, uh, James Clapper, the... Uh, Evelyn Farkas, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia. Uh, General Michael Hayden, former Director of the CIA and the NSA. Uh, Jed Johnson, former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security. Michael Morrill, former Acting Director of the CIA. Norman Ornstein, American uh, Enterprise Institute resident scholar, is how he's described. Um... (laughs) Uh, Leon Panetta, former defense secretary, uh, former secretary of defense, former director of the CIA, former White House chief of staff. Rob Reiner, director, actor, activist. Uh, Charlie Sykes, he's a conservative commentator on there. And then Clint Watts, foreign policy research institute fellow and former FBI agent. Interesting, Rob. Very interesting. Maybe it is you who are, you know, caught in the wilderness of mirrors, sir. Maybe Rob's being sheep dipped. Maybe he's being sheep dipped. Maybe, hmm, interesting, Rob. Yeah, it's, and and this is, (laughs) this is literally the game that Reiner's playing where everyone's guilty by association of everything. (laughs) Everyone is somehow connected to something in some way. And it's just this endless thing where this is, it's literally all Podesta art. It's Podesta art all the way down where like a person's just like, Hey, that looks that, that, that shit's weird. Isn't it? Don't you think that's something weird about that? And they just, they're just egging you on to agree with them so that then they can lure you down the rabbit hole. And he, uh, they do a quick recap of Oswald's life and again, give a wink and a nod about MK ultra Mm -hmm. 
it just like oh man and these um, two episodes are very obviously a setup to tell you that at some point that oswald was like uh basically like a robot along with apparently four other people and just kind of was he was uh mk ultrad and killed kennedy without even realizing why he did it oh well, <laughs> uh, episode, episode eight is absolutely delusional okay. uh, like it is the weirdest like episode like uh, uh, next week listeners you're we're getting episode six which is absolutely insanity like so if you're like man mike and Haley, what the fuck are you guys doing like i'm listening to you because i like hell world and blah 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 trust me next week you're gonna get a payoff because episode six is absolutely bonkers and there's a bit of that that bleeds into this episode so we're gonna have i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you something delicious in a little bit i promise but episode <laughs> six is absolutely insane and then episode eight is pants on head delusional like the the story that Rob tries to craft about quote unquote Oswald's perspective on what happened on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, is so unmoored from reality, and it makes so little sense that it's just like wow, I I, I can't even I can't even wrap my head around like the fact that when when Rob and the scriptwriters and the people that were right were working on this stuff and the guy who follows me on Twitter who's from there. Whenever you, whenever you guys like finish crafting that script, boy howdy, boy howdy, like I don't know what you thought you were doing, but you shouldn't have done it because it was a mistake. But uh, yeah, it is. I I, I just don't want to. I don't want to get into spoilers and just start talking about episode <laughs> eight when Haley hasn't even listened to it yet. But it's yeah. just it is it is the strangest thing in the world because you have the you have the two competing you have the two possible conspiracy theories around Oswald in the sense of like when the CIA kills Kennedy what is Oswald's involvement and it's either Oswald was just a dull-eyed knave who had no idea what was going to happen or that Oswald was somehow in on it and Reiner just Solomon just Solomon's the shit out of that shit he splits that baby and you're just sitting there holding your your chopped baby, going, "What the fuck? <laughs> I don't even understand what you did. Why did you saw the baby in half, you weirdo?" It's it's just that. It's just this incredibly bizarre narrative that, like, you're you're probably going to have a lot of really awkward pauses in three episodes because I'm just going to have these moments where my brain is just going to short circuit trying to rationalize why these things are being said and it's just it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a trip it's gonna be an absolute trip but um anyways getting back to here the wilderness of mirrors re-entering the wilderness of mirrors <laughs> let me tell let me, again we could say that thing like 10 times and we might tie them for the number of times they said wilderness of mirrors <laughs> might tie them but uh because they, they love their turns of phrase and they love their titles. The poet spy is said so many times in this thing. And Soledad, this is the first episode where Soledad pushes back ever so gingerly, ever so slightly against Rob, and Rob bristles like a porcupine. <laughs> like his his like little quills just start shooting everywhere and starts Soledad is impaled against the wall for daring for daring to offer the mildness of pushback she's literally like 
Hey, you ever heard of like Occam's Razor? I know you've heard of that. You know, maybe maybe Oswald was just kind of like a communist, and he's like, it's possible, but this is the height of the Cold War, and he's like, now it's time to enter the wilderness of fucking mirrors. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he like when he, basically she says with Occam's Razor, wouldn't it just be the answer? And he's like, maybe. But may, but hold my hand, little girl, as I take you into the wilderness of mirrors and try to explain this to you. And then he literally just goes, "It's possible." That's his. That's yeah, literally. His. But, but no, put a, put put a pin <laughs> in it, little girl. Shut up, Dame. I mean, it's just I I don't know why I for uh, grant misogyny to Rob Reiner, but I just want to because I'm just so angry at him that on top of like his Kennedy. His Kennedy nuttiness. I just want him to just have this dim view of Soledad because she's a woman. Uh, but oh, he, the Occam's Razor thing happens. And then later in the episode, when she's talking about the sheep dipping, she says to Reiner, basically, isn't it possible Oswald's just a communist? And he says, if you believe that, then you fell for the trap the poet spy has set for you. Yeah, he's like, the poet spy has succeeded. <laughs> and then it's like the poet spy if you remember is james jesus angleton <laughs> the, the podcast is really cheesy um oh, oh, oh the, well, speaking <laughs> of the cheese oh the the the, the straight velveta it the, the thing that's really bad is that it's obviously a scripted podcast it's obviously a scripted podcast where like people write out what rob and soledad are going to say Robin Solidet, obviously being executive producers, have control over those scripts. They read them. They send revisions back. The script is sent back to them. There is nothing organically said in this podcast. This is not a free-flowing conversation between two people. Like me and Haley, she has some notes. I have some notes. We don't compare notes before the podcast. We just get in here. We start talking to each other. This is an actual organic conversation. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying there's a difference between the styles and what we do. And in the middle of this episode, Rob Reiner says, at this point, Oswald is being sheep dipped. And Soledad is just like, sheep dipped? What does that mean? The music gets funky. It's like, you know, you got to snap to it a bit, you know, because it's a little bit of jazz beat. (laughs) Oh, and I think that's when it cuts to commercial. (laughs) It literally did, I think, for me. It's like, he's about to get sheep dipped. And then it's like, funky beats play out. And then that's commercial. Yeah, and it's like, it, hey, it, I'm Tosh.0. It, you remember me from Tosh.0? I now have a show called Tosh Podcast. And I'm like, what is happening? Please stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then we come back and saw it. It's like, what's sheep dipping me? <laughs> and it's it's so contrived. It is like the worst improv you've ever seen. It's two people trying to sell you on the fact that they're having a, an actual conversation when they're not. They're actors playing parts mm-hmm. and they're doing it badly. And the the whole point of this episode is Rob is trying to explain to us that Oswald is being lured into a persona that will then be used to discredit him after he is framed for killing Kennedy. And again, like, if he didn't do any of the shit that Rob's talking about in this episode, if Oswald literally just came back from the Soviet Union, did nothing that mattered, just literally got a day job, worked it, then killed the president and got arrested for it. People would have been like, let's dig into this Lee Harvey Oswald fellow. Oh shit. He defected to the Soviet union, tried to renounce his American citizenship 
failed to do so, then came back. This guy's a weird communist. But Reiner's like, they had to carefully craft this narrative of Oswald being a communist. It's like, they already had it. They they sheep-dipped him in the Soviet Union. They didn't have to re-sheep-dip him in America. This whole thing where they were like, oh, my God, we got to build this narrative about Oswald being a communist in New Orleans. It's like, why? You already have that narrative. It's already been established. We don't need more. Yeah, this is the interaction. Uh, it's like, and here in New Orleans, New Orleans is where Oswald is about to get sheep-dipped. Sheep-dipped? What does that mean? Sheep-dipped is a term uh, of art in the intelligence world. That means coding someone to give them CIA operative status. It's a tactic of deception. It gives the appearance that the person is someone other than who he really is. Soledad. So how does that even work? Um, By using assets of the agency to build a narrative around the person that you're carefully led into a new identity. And it's all documented. You yourself may not even know where this new identity will lead. But when it's finished... You'll have the bona fides of someone who appears to uh, a completely legitimate. And the plan for Oswald in New Orleans was to sheep dip him in order to make him look like he was a pro Castro communist. Soledad, couldn't he just be a pro Castro communist? If you think that, the poet spy has succeeded, kid. And that's. (laughs) Now make me a sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. Just. Oh, and before that, he did the bit where he was like, Soledad, read this for me. Which is the most patronizing shit. Every time that happens, I get so angry. Because it's like, Rob, read your own notes. Read your own notes. It's like, like, there are moments in this podcast where I realize that I'm talking a lot. And I understand that because, like, I'm, quote, unquote, the expert. And Haley is, like, my sounding board. That is how this, like, two-person podcast works. <laughs> but never at a point when I'm talking a lot and I'm like, man, I'm dominating this conversation. Do I think to myself, I need to do some sort of weird lead-in to let Haley talk for a moment. <laughs> I never think to myself, we need to get Haley's voice into the screen. So I'll be like, Haley, say a thing. tip <laughs> out say for a moment. broad. Yeah, see broad. Yo, Joyce, these people need to hear a female voice for a moment. <laughs> so weird. It's such a bizarre thing where it's like he just knows that Soledad hasn't been Soledad hasn't talked on the podcast for like three minutes, and they're like two minutes away from an ad break. So he's like, Soledad, take these next forty five seconds for me. So then she like reads a thing, and it's just it's just so bizarre. And this whole if Lee Harvey Oswald was just a schmuck I could understand the New Orleans thing but you already have the litany of the backstory of his life in in in, in episode 4 we covered his life in in Japan where he was a weirdo and a, a communist and we've covered and he defected the man is already there you don't need to build him up this isn't like some like Jamoke, eighteen-year-old who lived in Arkansas, joined the military, and then the army was just like, "We need to paint this guy as a, as a part of the KKK," and they give him some money to start his own chapter of like he becomes the grand cyclops of his community or whatever, and they build him up as this like weird, horrible racist or whatever, and then after he does his terrible crime. You, the investigators go back into his life, and when like, when they interview him in the military, they're like, "Oh no, he hung out with the black guys all the time. He was the coolest bro in the world. That that, that man didn't have a racist bone in his body." And then 
you start reviewing his history and it's like this weird line of demarcation where when he was 20 years old and he left the military, suddenly he just became a member of the Ku Klux Klan. But before that, he was totally not racist and just a bro. With Oswald, you don't have that like weird demarcation line. Just literally Oswald's whole life, raging communist. Just mm-hmm. loves communism all the time. Like, like as a teenager, he's like reading communist literature and g- getting pilled on communism. They even talk about this in the podcast, but apparently it was all lies. Up to the point where they say that an incident where he was handing out flyers uh, was just a completely... It was completely staged. It was a completely staged incident to 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 sheep dip him into looking like he was actually a pro Castro communist. Right. Yeah. You know, they 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 do this whole thing where they talk about how uh, Oswald like got a couple guys to hand out leaflets with him in a more anti Castro section of New Orleans, and it leads to an incident where these guys get into a, like a, in the fisticuffs with him. And the police break it up and they all get arrested for disturbing the peace. And then Oswald gets interviewed by the local radio station. And then Oswald, and now this is the thing that's really awesome about this is that, and Reiner doesn't bring this up, but after Oswald uh, got into these like discussions, Oswald appeared on the radio with them uh, a few times and actually like, like debated like communist um, ideology with, um, with these radio people. And so the idea that um, the idea that he was sheep dipped and had no idea what uh, was going on. It's like, no, this guy was uh, like Lee Harvey Oswald. Like, he has this interview. There's like a, a YouTube clip. It's like a two minute long YouTube clip where Oswald goes into this very in-depth discussion about the differences between Marxism and communism. Like he's explaining like these different like concepts uh, based around the works of Karl Marx. And this doesn't sound like a guy who's being sheeped in, but has no idea he's being tricked into being presented as a communist. This is a guy who's like literally being interviewed by the news station is like, Hey, I'm a communist and I'm going to tell you about the differences between Marxism and communism. And I think that he, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the, the interview off the top of my head, but I even think at one point he, Oswald states that he is a Marxist and not a communist. And the interviewer is like, so what's the difference? And Oswald's explaining this. He's like breaking down the details in the differences between these ideologies. And that really doesn't strike me as somebody who's just being tricked into being a communist. This guy is in the weeds. This guy knows his shit. He's like into it. It's like, uh, it's like Mike Raines was being sheep dipped into liking nineties alt rock, including the band garbage. It's like, no, I wasn't sheep dipped. I'm just into it. Like it's my jam. <laughs> it's like so, it's so strange that Reiner, like thinks that Oswald just has no idea what's happening to him when, you know, it, again, the solid Ed was like, maybe he just is a pro Castro communist. How about that, Rob? And Rob's like, no, shut up. <laughs> no, the poet spy has succeeded. If you believe that it's, no. it sounds very Q and It's like, why are we speaking in code? Why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we doing this? <laughs> Think wilderness of mirrors. <laughs> yeah. 
That's the name of our, that's the name of this episode. Thank you. Pink wilderness of beards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just that. It's just this really it, it's so overdone. There why would the CIA waste all this time and effort to manipulate this guy into presenting himself? this way when it didn't seem like there was any work to do that. It seemed like Oswald was very much gung-ho about being a communist. Now, uh, one weird thing that happened in this episode is when they bring up the Fair Play for Cuba committee, like four different voices then say the words Fair Play for yeah, Cuba Fair Play for Cuba committee. Like you hear Fair Play for Cuba committee. Fair Play for Cuba committee. Oh, yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, it's like. Uh, they, they have a weird Donald Trump voice coming. The Fair Play for Cuba committee, the most beautiful committee that I've ever seen. It's just, it's like the, the, the old timey newsman Trump. So shut up. I, I, I know, yeah, I know they haven't done people. this yet, Ed, but they did this for this. And I was like, I'm, why am I tripping? <laughs> <laughs> and the, what I think is going to happen here, and uh, I haven't listened to episode nine yet, which is about Jack Ruby. So, but um, I think what they're going to try to do here is they're going to try to uh, lie about what happened. They're going to try to make the movie JFK into reality, which is a bad thing to do because the JFK movie is, Oliver Stone's JFK is absolute dog shit and has no basis in reality at all. But what happens in that movie is um, they like to have B-roll footage in black and white to kind of show you like Jim Garrison's recollections of things or what Jim Garrison thinks is going on. And there is this moment in the movie where the officer who's got Oswald arrested says, and this Lee Oswald fella was part of the free play for Cuba committee. And then in the movie, Jack Ruby in the background by himself yells out fair play for Cuba committee. And then the officer's like, Oh, that's right. It was the fair play for Cuba committee. My apologies. And you, the watcher of the movie JFK, is like, how does Ruby know that? How is Ruby so in tune to Oswald that he was able to correct that that officer when he said the wrong thing? Obviously, Ruby's like part of the plot to kill Kennedy and now cover it up by whacking Oswald. And in reality, when you if you actually find that clip online, which you can, when the police the police officer does screw it up, the police officer does call it the free play for Cuba committee. What actually happens is like multiple voices correct him. Many people in the press yell at him because once Oswald was arrested, Oswald's arrested around two thirty or three or so in the afternoon, and like the first press conference is like four or five six hours later, and so people are digging into him because and now the the. The conspiracy narrative about this is that, oh, they, the media was too quick to get information about Oswald, blah, blah, blah. And what they do, how they justify that claim is that they'll be like, oh, Oswald wasn't charged with killing the president until way later in the night. And then by that point, suddenly the media had all this information about him. When the media and your regular person at home was putting two and two together that, oh, the guy that got arrested for killing a cop a couple of, like a half hour after the president got shot, maybe that guy killed the president too. That seems possible, if not likely. So 
people were honing in on Oswald from the jump. The moment he got arrested for killing Tippett, people were already piggybacking off of him being the murderer of the cop to also being the murderer of the president because people found out Oswald worked at the book depository and they figured out the book depository is where the shots came from. And even though he wasn't being charged with killing the president yet, again, he just killed the cop and he happened to be in the building where they, the, someone shot the president. It's probably him. It's probably him. So the information that Oswald had started a chapter of the free play for Cuba committee was public knowledge by the time the cop screwed it up. And that's why the cop was shouted down by lots of people for getting that wrong. So now when episode nine happens, we'll see if Rob Reiner goes with the JFK version of reality or with the reality version of reality. I give it two to one. He goes with JFK reality. Um, he also, uh, at one point is, he says like the, that James Angleton publishes a letter about his like opinions on Cuba weeks within Oswald's decision to move New Orleans, almost the exact time. And it's like, you're supposed to be baking this. You're clearly supposed to be baking this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's again, th- th- this is Podesta art. This is inference. This is, oh, oh. Isn't that convenient? Right. The, the poet spy is moving pieces on the chessboard, deftly navigating them through the wilderness of mirrors. And it's. And it literally says, and then seven months later, Kennedy would be assassinated because you're supposed to pin the, t- the two and two together. Right. You know? Right. Like yeah, we're 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 Reiner and Soledad are well, holding your hand and guiding you along this stuff, and so we have that, and then we get to the actual star of this episode, which is uh, George DeMorne Schmidt, and because uh, George is a big character in the Kennedy assassination, he is he's a large character in the movie JFK. He's this big entity because he's a weird. He's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird story, his relationship with Oswald, because DeMorne Schmidt is a successful dude who apparently, like, lived the high life, and he's he's in middle age, he's like in his 40s or 50s, and he befriends this young, weird dude who just, like, came back from defecting from Russia, and because DeMorne Schmidt and, and Oswald's relationship is obviously funky, people got to add more spice to it. And it's got to be, oh, DeMorne Schmidt was his CIA handler, or he'd been directed by the CIA to do these things. And it's that kind of story that you got to add to the story. You got to build on the story. And DeMorne Schmidt can't have just been a weirdo who befriended a fellow person who left Russia and all that stuff. Nope. He had to be involved in the CIA either overtly or uh, through um, back channels and just new people in the CIA. And he had to be doing work on their behalf. Like uh, DeMorne Schmidt's last interview with someone, he claims that he's like, oh, I would never have gotten involved with Oswald if that CIA operative hadn't told me to do so. But DeMorne Schmidt is saying this like over a decade after the fact, like this is one of the problems with the, this story is that everyone knows what they're supposed to say now. 
everyone knows how you get on the conspiracy circuit and how you draw attention to yourself. And that is by saying the right things, by saying stuff like, oh, yeah, the CIA guy told me to hang out with Oswald, so that's why I did. And these are not extra, extemporaneous comments by DeMornschmidt. DeMornschmidt said this stuff like 15 years after like uh, the assassination. And then um, we get more Arkansiding. We get more uh, bullshit about uh, conspiracy, about um, conspiracy deaths. Because DeMornschmidt committed suicide in, at this point, right before he testifies before the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And it, it just couldn't be that this guy who lived a very weird life, had like five wives, was constantly divorced, um, I believe struggled with alcoholism and all this kind of stuff. If I'm wrong about that, please correct me. I will mention it on the pod. But DeMorne Schmidt had his demons. DeMorne Schmidt had his issues and it's very possible, like, uh, that testifying before the House Select Committee on Assassinations was a stressor that triggered a, a response that was very unfortunate. Because, as Reiner even brings up in the pod, uh, DeMorne Schmidt was a big, he was one of the biggest witnesses the Warren Commission had. He testified with the Warren Commission for a long time. He answered a lot of questions. He spent, like, a long time in front of the committee. And then... Years after he testified to the Warren Commission, he started changing his tune. He started being like, oh, man, I made Oswald out to be a bad man. I probably helped them convict Oswald in the court of public opinion. I don't feel that's right that I did that. Lee was a good guy. He probably didn't kill the president. I, I feel for him and I feel for what I did for him. So when you have DeMorn Schmidt in this headspace where the last time he saw a governmental interview, uh, investigative body, he kind of threw the book at Oswald. He kind of helped pin the murder on him. And now he's going to have to do it again. And now he's going to have to testify again. And he freaks out. I mean, I, I, I think, I think that's plausible, but I only think that's plausible because the poet spy has tricked me into the wilderness of mirrors and I'm buying into his nonsense much as Soledad did. So, um, According to Wikipedia, DeMorne Schmidt uh, was discussed at length in, two tr in True TV's Conspiracy with Jesse Ventura, and Ventura claims that DeMorne Schmidt was, in fact, a CIA handler for Oswald. So that's the level that Rob is on. Uh, it says that all. It says also on this Wikipedia that DeMorne Schmidt is a popular figure uh, uh, by conspiracy theorists regarding the assassination of JFK. Uh, because some do claim he's a CIA handler, but others have say, claimed that he's um, a, like a, a KGB operative and he's actually his Soviet intelligence handler. So lots of conspiracies going on here with this guy. Um, also, here's a fun fact. <clears throat> Bill O'Reilly, as in the Fox News Bill O'Reilly, um, claimed... Uh, in his book, Killing Kennedy, that he actually heard DeMorne Schmidt kill himself. He says he, he was knocking on DeMorne Schmidt's door when he heard the, the shotgun blast that marked his suicide. This is a completely fake story that Bill O'Reilly made up, and he was not even in the same state when this happened. 
So <laughs> that's awesome. It's cool that people just latch on to this guy. Just con- his his story continues. You know. Um. Thanks, Bill. News. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Bill, for just making shit up and lying about George Mornschmidt's suicide. <laughs> that you were you you were literally on the other side of the door going, "No, George, no! You have so Don't much to do it. For. You have to tell the truth. <laughs> you have to exonerate Oswald." He's like, "I can't do it." My my KGB overlords wait, and then O'Reilly's like, "No, no, don't say that. Say CIA. <laughs> say CIA." Oh God, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Good job, yeah. Rob. Yeah, and also, yeah, just good job, everybody, all around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just one of those things where, like, whatever Demorne Schmidt's history was. Uh, oh, one of the, one of the things that comes up, and uh, if you if you dig through Demorne Schmidt's connections to Oswald, and this will obviously not come up in the episode. Uh, it doesn't come up in this episode. Hasn't come up yet in episode eight. Have a feeling it's never going to come up uh, because Haley brought this up previously about uh, Oswald taking a shot at General Walker. Um, Demorne Schmidt uh, allegedly um, saw Oswald's gun while he was hanging out with him. And Demorne Schmidt jokingly said to him, hey, were you the one that took that pop at Walker? And Oswald like gave him a smirk, like didn't even react to it. And so like that thing where it's like oh yeah by the way uh, uh general walker was shot at by somebody and we've had a bunch of the house like committee on assassinations and the warren commission both said that uh that attempt on walker's life was done by lee harvey oswald and uh we're just not going to hear about that just not going to hear about it and i, I think that's really very interesting that this is again episode one. Rob Reiner's like, I'm going to leave all the facts on the table, and those facts are going to lead to conspiracy. So you're not going to leave the, but we have here. There's a big fact you're not leaving on the table there, Rob. Um, that, that Edwin Walker had someone shoot at him, and uh, you're not bringing that up. That it's probably Oswald who did that. So I mean, it's just, it's just very dishonest. This. Uh, this podcast, and uh, we mentioned it last time that uh, General Posner, who did the Oswald Dunn did it uh, book, was interviewed by Reiner, and they just did left it on the cutting room floor because they didn't want to talk about it. And so, I just think that's very. Um, this is not uh, leaving it all on the on the table. This is not showing us all the evidence. So it, this is just conspiracy stuff. This is just. Um, it's just it's just nonsense. It's just it's just the CIA killed Kennedy, and that's what we're going to tell you because that's the story we want to tell you. Yep, so, he yeah. was an MK Ultra agent. His entire life, from when he was a teenager, was a lie. Um, and then after he did it, everything that we know about the JFK assassination, including the goddamn photos of his head getting blown off, is fake. <laughs> That's that's what we're getting at here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading here that uh, apparently one of DeMorne Schmidt's wives was an alcoholic and he was not an alcoholic. So I'm retracting my claim of alcoholism for DeMorne Schmidt. Did but, we ever uh, get anybody correcting us on the mallets? Sydney no, Gutley. No, no, no one nope. said anything about Sydney mallets. Nope. Or, or Listeners, Sydney please <laughs> help us. Is, is, are yes. we right? Are we wrong on this? Was the 
we know the one of the one of the producers followed you from the Who Killed Kennedy podcast. You should you should just reach him out, reach out to him, and ask like, you guys get this wrong. And now I have another thing that says, yes, I actually interviewed my friend Steve Porter for the Sixth Floor Museum's Oral History Collection because he was the Mornschmidt's maintenance man back in the 1970s. He said they were always drunk and acting erratic and they had lots of dogs. So I unretract my statement. The Mornschmidt was an alcoholic, so I don't know. <laughs> We've all been there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, and then this other person says, uh, Janine was a full-blown alcoholic from the mid-60s, but George was not. They argued loudly a lot during the 70s. They always had plenty of Manchester Terriers, so those must be the dogs he was remembering. So <laughs> the battle over DeMorgement's alcoholism is continues apace. However, we'll say he dabbled. We'll he, say he, he dabbled. Have dabbled in the boozatrons. Yeah. But uh, dogs, he was full-blown on dogs. He was dog-pilled, but we don't know if he was an alcoholic. He was 100% based <laughs> in dog-pilled. <laughs> So um, now uh, we are going to move to. I'm gonna. We're gonna move into the madness. Okay. The madness that I thought was only in episode six that bled into this episode. So now uh, we are going to take our uh, Rob Reiner supported ad break because we only do one on this show. I'm like Rob's podcast, which says seven. So we're going to take our ad break, and when we return, we're going to get into the magic of guiding hands, which is a, like something that is an actual conspiracy theory terminology I've heard from other people and not like the wilderness of mirrors, which Rob and Solid Edwards is obsessed with. So we'll be back in one moment. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Boom, and we're back. So Get that. Now- Dinar or whatever. We are getting our we're getting our Dutch kroners. Oh, Kroners. I got like twelve bucks in Dutch kroners from the last episode. So big. Dang. Yeah. So I'm thinking that we're I'm going to sneak uh, an ad into the uh, mailbag uh, break in hell world. (laughs) See if I can get twelve Dutch kroners every podcast, not just the JFK Mm -hmm. podcast. Boom! Just make making it rain kroner. Just Mm -hmm. twelve days of kroner. It's gonna, it's gonna be awesome when it, it turns out that the Kronar is like the Kronar is just an incredibly strong currency, and I'm getting like three dollars for every Kronar. I'm like, oh my god, I'm rich! This is great. <laughs> That's gonna be like the Iraqi dinar scam, only like in bizarre reversal, and it's actually mm-hmm. real. One day that Kronar will be worth it. Yes, hold. But um, oh yeah, I'm hooking you up with all the Kronar. You have no idea. <laughs> but um, so now we're so now after the Demornschmidt uh, nonsense, and this is the thing. All we know about DeMornschmidt and Oswald is that they hung out and that uh, they knew each other. And 
like exactly how or why they knew each other. Like we, there's, there's no there there. This is all implication by association is all we have. But now Rob gets into um, guiding hands, and what guiding hands is, is that the CIA not only sheep dipped Oswald and made him and made the, the American people and the world think he was a pro Castro communist. They also got him the job at the at the Texas School Book Depository from which he could be framed for killing the president. And in order to uh, propagate this guiding hands uh, narrative, we have to believe that uh, Ruth Payne, the woman that was uh, that Marina Oswald was living with, that Ruth Payne somehow got Oswald the job at the Texas School Book Depository. And Rob implicates that Ruth Payne is CIA because everybody's CIA Mm -hmm. and brings up that Ruth Payne's sister was working for the CIA. Uh, He hints that Ruth Payne's mother, Ruth Payne's father was working for a group that was a front group for the CIA because, because Rob doesn't actually have any evidence that Ruth herself is CIA. So again, he has to use all this implication to make it sound like Ruth is CIA so that you'll just put those dots together. You'll just connect the two and two and be like, oh, yeah, Ruth Payne is CIA. She was totally a part of this. And I think Ruth Payne is, like, still alive now. And, I mean, honestly, if I were her or I were a lawyer that had her phone number, I would be looking to sue Rob Reiner for defamation because this is insane. It's ridiculous that Reiner is – um that Reiner is doing this stuff where he's implicating um, Ruth Payne as being a part of this plot to kill the the conspiracy. Yeah. (laughs) And so basically the gist of what Rob Reiner is saying is that Lee Harvey Oswald basically says, man, I really need a job. And Ruth Payne's like, Oh boy, how do you do? I got a job for you. And next thing you know, Oswald's working at the Texas school book depository. And that's not at all what happened. Uh, from this article that I, I, I read, uh, it's from medium.com slash uh, at West Wing Report, uh, the Kennedy assassination, no conspiracy. Uh, that Oswald found work at the book depository is nothing less than a miracle. Many little pieces seemingly unconnected had to fall into place, and they did. Just a week before, Oswald nearly got a job as a typesetter trainee at a printing company far away from where Kennedy's motorcade would be. He wanted the job badly and made a favorable favorable impression on his would-be boss until his boss called Bob Stovall, a prior boss at the Paget Printing Company, who fired Oswald in April of 1963. Stovall told him of Oswald's poor attitude and lazy work habits. He was a troublemaker and maybe a communist. Because Stovall fell for the poet spy's cunning deception of (laughs) sheep-dipping Oswald. Stovall uh, said, adding, if I was you, I wouldn't hire him. Had Oswald been hired, the world may never have heard of him, as it was likely President Kennedy's visit to Dallas would have gone smoothly, as it did until his dark blue Lincoln Continental turned on the Elm Street. That this guy is word-padding like a motherfucker. He's like, blue Lincoln Continental. Nope, nope, dark blue. There we go. I'm going to hit my thousand page word, my, my thousand word content for the day. Um, 
It is important to note that even Oswald was about to become a father for the second time. He lived alone in a cheap boarding house in the Oak Cliff section of Dallas. Marina, eight months pregnant and tired of Oswald's beatings and unstable behavior, was living in suburban Irving at the home of Ruth Payne. Again, Rob Reiner is defending a domestic abuser, and he never brings this. I mean, I mean, I don't know if remember if he brought up that Oswald hit his wife, but uh, this was literally one of the things that Ruth Payne was doing. He, she was keeping Oswald separate from Marina so that Oswald wouldn't beat his wife. So this woman who and uh, Ruth Payne was Ruth Payne was all about trying to find uh, brotherhood and solidarity with the Soviets. She was trying to learn Russian. Uh, That's convenient. 19- yeah, oh, how convenient. How convenient. Literally, Soledad says that. They set yes. that up as a, a, a right. bit that you're supposed to make realize is mysterious about her. Right. She wanted to learn Russian since 1957. She'd been studying it for a long time. And this is basically how she gets in with the Oswalds, is that she finds out that Marina is... Uh, came from the Soviet Union and speaks Russian. And Ruth Payne is like, oh, shit, a native Russian speaker. And Oswald also knows Russian. This is this is my dream. I'm running into these people who speak this language I've been trying to learn because the Cold War is going all around. Ruth Payne's a Quaker. Ruth Payne's about all about trying to find peace and common ground between peoples. So she wants to learn Russian so she can communicate with Russians. That is her goal here. But of course, in Soledad and Reiner's world, she only wants to learn Russian as a cover for getting closer to the Oswald so she can lure Oswald into the wilderness of mirrors and get him a job at the Texas Mm. School Book Depository. Now, uh, returning to the, uh, the article, on the morning of October 14th, Ruth and Marina were having coffee at a neighbor's house. At one point, the conversation turned to how Oswald needed a job. Two possibilities were raised, one at a local bakery and other and another at a gypsum plant. But both those jobs required driving, and Oswald didn't know how to drive. So, again, if Lee Harvey Oswald wanted to have more uh, career opportunities, he could have learned how to drive, and maybe Ruth would have been able to loan him her car, or maybe he could have got a car. But Oswald not being able to drive hindered him, so he was kind of like stuck with whatever work he could find. But then another neighbor in their little coffee clatch. Oh, Jesus Christ, buddy. Dial it back a little. Uh, Linny <laughs> May Randall mentioned that her brother had just gotten a job at a place called the Texas School Book Depository downtown. It was the busy season, Linny May said, and perhaps they could use another man. Ruth Payne and Marina, who wanted Oswald to pull his weight, his weight called the depository, and Superintendent Roy Truly said he would see Oswald the next day. And Rudy proceeded to... Uh, Oswald proceeds to lie his ass off to get the job. He calls truly sir. He says he was out of the Marines and that he lies about his discharge being honorable. Truly doesn't background check him the way the typesetting guy did and offers him a job for a buck 25 an hour. And Oswald takes the job. Now, uh, not only is all of this uh, part of how Oswald gets this job, but on the day Oswald is going to show up for his first day of work, Oswald and another person show up and uh, truly needs one person to go work at an auxiliary location that the Texas school book depository has like an office in. 
and they need uh, Oswald to, um, and they need someone to stay at the main building. And Oswald's boss nearly told Oswald to report to the storage warehouse elsewhere, but at the last minute he decided to go with Oswald as being the guy that was going to go to the main building. So if Oswald reports to the auxiliary warehouse, he's nowhere in the path of the motorcade. And the decision to hire Oswald is Roy Truly's. The decision to put Oswald in the main building is Roy Truly's. All Marine, all Ruth Payne did was suggest the job to Oswald, and he interviewed for it, and he managed to get the guy, the supervisor that was in charge of hiring, to hire him. If Roy Truly told him to fuck off, or if Roy Truly put him in the other building, then Oswald would not have been in the book depository when Kennedy was assassinated. So I'm waiting for Rob Reiner to say that Roy Truly is CIA, because he has to. He has to, or this makes no sense, because Ruth Payne did not get him the job and did not put him in the location needed to kill to be framed for killing the president. Roy truly did. He was the one that had the power in this situation. This, oh my God, this is madness. This is so dumb. This is so dumb. It's, I, yeah. Haley, read this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's just, it's just the guiding hands is such a ridiculous theory because of what I just laid out. Like, uh, Ruth Payne didn't get him the job. He got the job because he couldn't get any other job because he couldn't drive a car and he didn't have the training necessary for those jobs. And he just happened to luck out and get this job in this place. And the guy who hired him didn't have to hire him, and he didn't have to put him in the building where he was. So it's just, it's just absolutely the most frustrating nonsense. And you, you get you didn't hear about that uh, auxiliary warehouse on the podcast with Rob and Soledad, because of course you wouldn't. They would never tell you about that. And for some reason, they don't blame Roy Truly for anything. Roy Truly is just an innocent person. When, but Ruth Payne, CIA to her bones. It's just, it's just so, <laughs> it's just super ridiculous. So yeah, that is, that is guiding hands. That is the idea that everything about Oswald's life was so carefully orchestrated up to and including him getting that job and that this was all set up. And now um, the, I, uh, there's a awesome little documentary on YouTube uh, called uh, Inside the Book Depository, the Kennedy Assassination Inside the Book Depository by uh, Lamino. And uh, that video uh, just talks a lot about the guiding hands as well and how it says basically what I'm saying about it because it's the, um, it's the uh, situation. Uh, and uh, what was I going to say? Come on, brain, you can brain. But yeah. There's no evidence of anything really happening that would indicate that there was nefarious, there was something nefarious about Oswald getting this job. And on top of that, this motorcade route wasn't assured. There were two possible locations that after they got into Love Field, there was like, um, I believe it's like the Women's Union of Voters was one location and the Dallas Trademark was the other. And this is from the Lamino video. And Governor Conley was the one who fought hard to get the Dallas trademark to be where the motorcade was going to end up. 
And as a reward for fighting for the Dallas trademark, he got shot in the chest. So take that, Conley, you prick. So um, the, the, the route of the motorcade wasn't etched in stone when Oswald got this job. Oswald getting this job wasn't the work of Ruth Payne. It's all just nonsense. It's all very silly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very bad. Very bad. Very good. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's basically it. I mean, this that's this episode. Demorne Schmidt is the big bad, is, is this boogeyman thing. We're mad at James Engleton for reasons that I don't really understand, but he was a CIA operative, so he's bad. And uh, Ruth Payne is also bad. I mean, it's just all of it is very silly and very bad, but that's where we're at. We, we have been led, we, we have been led through the wilderness of mirrors to this moment and this point. And now we are finally arriving at um, something resembling the assassination. And we're going to get to next. The next episode is Richard K. Snagel who I had not done a deep dive into because he was always a very uh, tangential character to the conspiracy. But next week is absolute nonsense. Uh, I don't, I dug in the Nagel and Nagel is a clown the way everyone is. Uh, Rob Soledad, all the rest of them jokes, just absolutely dumb jokey jokes. And it's pathetic. And next, next week's going to be six hours. It's going to be a six hour podcast. I hope Haley has all day to listen to me talk. Because it's going to be horrible. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Get ready for the blockbuster next week, and uh, we will catch you later. Good speed. Bye. 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 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.